Hello, and welcome to the Kingdom Corner Podcast, where you can propel your faith into even deeper levels as we discuss how to live the kingdom culture on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus prayed. Here's your host, the great Matt Geib. Good day, good day. Once again, Kingdom Corner Podcast devotees, the great Matt Geib here from the bright, sunny, yet cool Pacific Northwest. I believe spring is right around the corner now, and today I'm coming back to you because we want to get back into this wonderful book of Ephesians. We had decided last time, as I was thought about this, that we said we'd go back to the beginning of the book because when I first started teaching in Ephesians, I'd started about chapter 3, the middle of chapter 3 last summer, and I just felt there were too many good themes and good golden nuggets, diamonds that we could just unearth from the first part of the book. And we began to find that out last week. And I'll go back in now, I'll go back in now, and I'm just going to read a portion from chapter one and kind of tie in where we left off last week, and we'll begin to go on from there. Ephesians chapter one, New King James Version, Ephesians chapter one, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Verses 1 through 6. Let's stop there. Let's recap what we talked about last week. Last week, we didn't even get by verse 3, and that kind of set us up for the rest of this beautiful chapter, and really for the rest of the book, because this is like a setting or a purpose for the book found in this verse. And we talked last time about three words in this verse, in or en in the Greek language. Where are we? We're in or en Christ in the heavenly places, which we said the essence of that phrase, en, means a fixed position of rest. That's what we said. In a fixed position of rest where the setting is heavenly places. That's where we live from. We may be a physical being walking around on earth, but we are in the realm of the heavenlies because our spirit has connection with God. We are in, we can be in that dimension. I remember from Ecclesiastes, it says he's placed eternity in our hearts. That's what he's talking about. Then the next word we looked at was blessed, blessed or blessing. And we talked about eulageo was the Greek word, or eulagia for the plural. And we talked about what blessing was, that God, it's just a lot like the English word, means a praise, something to be praiseworthy, something to cause one to be happy or favored, meant celebration. And that's what we began to talk about, that God had blessed us in heavenly places. And we're going to go on from there now. That connects us to where we were last episode. And I just want to, I just was reading through this, you know, and I wasn't sure 
just what we'd get into. And I felt like, you know, I want to get through this, and yet I don't want to rush it. There's so many great truths in here. I wanted to enumerate for you in this passage, we talked about 2 Peter 1, 1 to 4, that he's given us everything we need for godly living, for assimilating the nature of God, and those are blessings too, like temperance and patience and knowledge of God. And yet, that was a cross-reference, and yet this is what he's talking about here. And right within the first chapter, as I read through it and studied it this last few days, I have some things that I can enumerate for you, and we may or may not go into detail on some of these, but I'm going to enumerate them right from Ephesians, what these blessings are. In the verses that follow, the blessings are listed. We're going to look at them maybe in more detail later, but for now, let me just point them out to you. The first blessing, Ephesians 1.4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's number one. In the beginning of time, before the foundation of the universe, you were chosen or picked to be on God's team. Let's look at number two in Ephesians. He destined us in love to be his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. And that's Ephesians 1, 5 to 6. Ephesians 1, 5 to 6. What a great thing that is. We are members of the family of God. He's made us partakers of his divine nature. Let's look at the third blessing seen right in Ephesians. Verse 7 and 8. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavishes or lavished upon us. Verse 7 and 8 of chapter 1. Think of that. He's removed our guilt. We're utterly free now. All that's gone. The shame is all gone. Number four, and this is found in chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. He has made known to us in all wisdom and insight the mystery or the mysterion, that which has been concealed and shut up for ages. He's begun to make known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things that are on the earth. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. We have been taken into the secret counsels of God, of Abba. He has unfolded or revealing to us what his plans are, what he wants to do, what he wants to accomplish in the future. We're part of that. We're co-workers with Abba. We have been told something of the details of the plan. It keeps unfolding. He keeps revealing it to us. Paul was the one who began to, in the beginning, to open that up. And we're going to get into that in chapter 3, the mysterion. He was the one that was to reveal the mysterion or the mystery to the Gentiles. He was the Gentile apostle. Let's look at number 5. And this is verse 11 and 12 of chapter 1. These are all the blessings. And you can just find them right there in the first chapter. In him, according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will, we who first hope in Christ, hoped in Christ, have become destined and appointed to live for the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1, 11 and 12. Let me say that again. Isn't that beautiful? We have been destined, you have been destined today in the future and appointed as a son and daughter of the Most High God to do what? To live for the praise of his glory. Amen. Now let's look at number six. 
well, we'll go on here. That is why we are gathered here at the Kingdom Corner podcast, okay? God's appointed and wanted to demonstrate all these great truths so we can live for the praise of his glory. Let's now look at the sixth one, the sixth blessing I've listed in just chapter one, chapter one, 13a, in whom you also have heard, you've heard in him the word of truth. We bring the word of truth out here on the Kingdom Corner podcast every week, but it is instilled, I believe, and I pray that it is instilled and anointed and revealed at God flowing through me as a vessel, anointing me to reveal the word of truth. Think of that. In this last time we've had here of the election year, when everything has been so confusing and confounding, and you may not know what is truth and what is not, there's a place where you can get truth from the word of God. I believe from the Kingdom Corner podcast, I believe that is so. There's a place where you can get the goods, the facts, the gospel of your salvation, and how you've believed in him. That's 113a. Now let's look at the last blessing I have listed. All that you see, let's go on, comes as part of the word of truth. And then the last one, number seven, see, I've written these down, had these down, they were on my heart. Number seven, we're sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's a beautiful one, which is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, the seal of the Holy Spirit. And I remember teaching on that and reading into it. It typifies, or it's a metaphor, when in those old days, when somebody bought a piece of land or a house, they were given a bag of dirt till the documents could be signed, until they could possess that house as a guarantee or a guarantor of the inheritance of that land or of that property. That's what you have in the Holy Spirit. It's a seal of promise till we reach eternity, right? Those things that I just read are what makes life a joy as a Christian. Without these great facts, life is unbearable. Think of what we're going through now. It can be unbearable. It could be desolate, boring, fearful, fearing, you know, a time of fearfulness. And man can't even get along. But with this kind of promises that we just read about, God can just bring a full joy and a full, you know, fulfillment in him that we have a hope and a future, as Jeremiah spoke of in Jeremiah. No political party can give this to us. No Donald Trump, no whoever you might have hope in can give you that. They can only come from God and God alone, these promises, these blessings, with God working. With man, it's impossible. We can't achieve these things by ourselves. They are gifts from God, and with God, everything is possible. Let's go on. See what else I have for you. Let's go on now. I have some other notes. I've written notes everywhere today. That was number two. Now number three, as we get further along in chapter one, this letter to the Ephesians is really nothing more than a description of the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul emphasized these riches a great deal as he traveled all about the Roman Empire. He came to groups and cities and colonies of people where they were spiritually and materially impoverished. Think of that. We, we think we're so rich today in this society in America and North American continent, and we are materially, but we're so impoverished spiritually. Are we not? 
It talks about in Revelation, you know, that those people think they're rich, but they're really poor. That's what I see. We're impoverished spiritually. Without a vision, the people perish. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. That's what I see on the world scene today, on the church scene today, hungry, starving men and women of God, you know, that need the riches of Jesus Christ. They were poverty-stricken people. Many of them were slaves. They had nothing of this world's goods. They were depressed, discouraged, beset with fears, anxieties, jealousies, and hostilities. Boy, does that describe 2021, 2020, doesn't it? The kind of world we're living in? They were under a grip of superstition. A lot of that going on. A lot of conspiracy theories, right? And filled with dread of the future. They had no hope for life beyond death. And it was the apostles' great joy to unfold to them the riches available to them in Jesus Christ. Riches which, if they were accepted as facts, would free them, would transform them, and make them over into wholly different people. Isn't that what we're looking for? To be free, to be transformed in Jesus Christ, to be a different person, full of hope, full of joy, full of life. This would bring them a sense of joy and love and faith and radiant experience. That happened again and again as Paul traveled out throughout the Roman Empire, and it can happen again and again in this North American continent and the world that we live in because we are the light of the world as sons and daughters of God. So the apostle gloried in those exceeding great riches in Jesus Christ. And today I'm glorying in this wonderful, wonderful, rich uh, feast that we have in Ephesians. And I just am so humbled and so thrilled to be a messenger of the gospel of hope and love and transformation in Jesus Christ. I put my heart right there with the apostle Paul. I feel the same way. The epistle to the Ephesians ought to be like a treasure house or a treasure store to which we can go to anytime we are discouraged. I've said in, in this COVID season we're in, in this uncertain times we're in, where you don't know what's truth and what isn't, that Ephesians has been to me uh, my comfort food. I want this the Kingdom Corner podcast and the heart that I express here and the praise that I want to offer to God and the breaking of his bread of his word to be comfort food to you, to be something that will anchor you and help you and sustain you in these times. That's a little extra credit. I heard an old story years ago about a Navajo Indian, we're going to go on here, who'd become rich because oil had been found on his property in Oklahoma. He took all his money and put it in a bank. His banker became really familiar with the habits of this old gentleman. Every once in a while, the old Indian would show up at the bank and say to the banker, grass all gone, sheep all sick, water holes dry. The banker wouldn't say a word. He knew what he needed to do or what needed to be done. He'd take the old man inside and sit him down in the vault, you know, like where they go in, you unlock the, the vault there. And then he'd bring out several bags of silver dollars and say, these are yours. The old man would spend about an hour in there looking at all his money, stacking up the dollars and counting them. Then he'd come out and say, grass all green, sheep all well, water holes all full. He was simply reviewing his resources. 
That's all. That is where encouragement is found. When you look at the resources, when you look at the Word of God, when you look at what we're studying in Ephesians, these all resources are yours. The riches ours as saints, the facts which undergird your faith, the Word of God, right? As we go through the letter of Ephesians, as we go through these truths, I hope you will read it that way. Last week, we looked at the summary statement. We could call it a summary statement that gathers up so many great themes in this letter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And I enumerated for you today, we went further with that. And right from the first portion of in the chapter, verses 1 through 14, I enumerated seven blessings right out of this chapter for you. You can go back, re-listen, and hear that again. But now I want you to listen to something a little different. I just am trying to get this truth. If I could just take a hose and connect it from my heart to yours, I would do that. But I'm praying that God would just instill these things and write them on your heart and on your soul. And so having said that, let's look at this in another way. In the Greek, in verses 3 to 14, there's an unusual structure. It's not the same as our English language. In Greek, it's said in one complete, unbroken, long sentence with many adjectival phrases that amplify and enrich it. And I want to read it to you. One of the best Greek scholars of his day back in the early 1900s, Kenneth S. Wiest, I want to read this sentence to you, and I want you to just let it roll in your heart and your mind as I read it, okay? And I'm reading verses 3 to 14. 3 to 14, Ephesians 1, in the New Testament Expanded Translation by Kenneth S. Wiest. And he's a very good Greek scholar, and he writes this all in one sentence like the Greek is, like the Greek really is. May the God, verse, let's start at verse 3, may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ be eulogized, the one who conferred benefactions upon us in the sphere of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Even as he selected us out for himself, in him before the foundations of the universe were laid, to be the holy ones, and without blemish before his searching, penetrating gaze, in love, having previously marked us out to be placed as adult sons and daughters through the intermediate agency of Jesus Christ for himself, according to that which seemed good in his heart's desire." resulting in praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed upon us in the beloved. In him, we are having our redemption through his blood, the putting away of our trespasses according to the wealth of his grace, which he caused to superabound to us in the sphere of every wisdom and understanding, having made known to us the mysterion or mystery of his will, according to that which seemed good to him which good thing he purposed in himself with respect to an administration of the completion of the epochs of time to bring back again to their original state all things in Christ, the things in the heavens, the things in the earth, in him, in whom, let's see, in whom also we were made an inheritance, having been previously marked out according to the purpose of the one who operates all things according to the counsel of his will, with a view to bring our being to the praise of his glory, 
who had previously placed our hope in Christ, in whom also, as for you, having heard the word of truth, also as for you, having heard the word of truth, the good news of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Spirit of promise, the Holy Spirit, who is the token payment of our inheritance, guaranteeing the full payment of all, looking forward to the redemption of the possession which is being preserved with a view to the praise of his glory. Wow, isn't that a mouthful? Isn't that good? I suggest you go back and rewind this audio and listen to that again a couple times, a few times. It's so rich. That's just one sentence, the way Paul put that, you know, as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. If you want to get the effect of it, why don't you take a deep breath and try to read it, read those verses all yourself with one breath. You will see how much Paul's crammed into this. It's like he's walking us through a treasure chamber, I've written down, like the pharaohs of Egypt, describing what he sees. He starts out with the most immediate and evident fact for us and what that is, and then something else comes into view, and he puts that in there. And glory flashes upon glory, glory upon glory, until this tremendously complicated sentence includes uh, vast and almost indescribable riches. I mean, you can't really discern that in your mind. You have to pray that, pray about it. And because the Bible talks about the Bible being a book that is spiritually discerned. I believe that those verses 3 to 14 there is a spiritually discerned truth that God wants to open up even more to you. This is Paul's way of showing us that truth is interconnected and we can never touch upon some of these great themes, but without leading it to another theme, right? There's another lesson coming up, chapter 2, where he talks about if you Ephesians, if you people here in Ephesus read my letter, you'll see that I had a sin. I can't think of the uh, how to say right now the Greek word, but it means a running together. Paul had a running together of truth. And I'm sure when he was knocked off that donkey or horse on the way to Damascus, that's when truth began to run together for him because he was the Michael Jordan. He was the champion of the day as far as the Jewish church went. He was going to be the next high priest, possibly. He'd studied under Gamaliel, and he knew the Old Testament forward and backward, and he was zealous for the Jewish faith as he persecuted and stoned many Christians, even stoning to death Stephen. And yet God, in his rich mercy, encountered him on the road to Damascus. Then he had a running together of truth. Can you imagine? God must have put all those things together for him. He wrote most of the New Testament, you know, and it was a running together of truth. And all of a sudden, the lights of the Spirit must have just shone upon all those truths, the Old Testament, and how they connected to the New Testament truths, you know? It wasn't any just 630 laws anymore, but it was spiritual truth and the old being revealed by the truths of the new covenant of Jesus Christ, right? Wow, wow, wow. There's so much to be said about that. And remember, we've talked about these blessings. I just told you seven specific blessings we read in the beginning of the chapter, and then we read this verse more like the Greek would read it language. Remember that all these things are available to us in the realm which Paul called the heavenlies. And we talked a lot about that last week. And as we saw, it's not just pie in the sky when we get to heaven, but it's a reality that we can have now. Remember in Ecclesiastes, 
the Spirit of the Lord said, you know, through Solomon, he's placed eternity in our hearts. We have that within us to begin to walk in the realm of the heavenlies, even though we live on this planet, and to walk in that dimension. It's something to be experienced now through your inner man. That's what Paul's talking about. Okay? So let's leave you with that, and let's go to verse 4 and finish up today. We're going to finish this up. Uh, there's so much here. I hardly touched this chapter. We're just now on verse 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. See, he went from verse 3, and now he says in verse 4, he chose us. We've got all these blessings. He's blessed us in the heavenly realm, but he's chosen us out, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Here we're dealing with what theologians would call election, okay? In fact, the fact that God chose us to become Christians, to be in Christ before the foundation of the world. If we begin to try to understand this with our simple mind, we can't understand it. This is just an enormous statement. We struggle with it. We question it. I submit to you that we really don't believe it at times, because oftentimes we show that by our actions that we don't believe. We say, how could this be? How could God choose us and yet still offer a choice that we must make? In other words, how can a sovereign God choose us and yet give us a free will? Thus, we sense the struggle between, between doctrines of free will and sovereign election of God. Many, many men of God have wrestled with this truth and tried to explain it with various suggestions. Some may say, you see, God foresees his future. He looks down and sees what we're going to make as a choice. And on that basis, we determine what to do. He then says, all right, I'll elect them to be part of my process. Sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? And yet this is not what the scriptures say. Another person or theologian would say, well, God sees what we will be when we become Christians. He sees the value we will have toward him. And so he chooses us on that basis. Again, Nothing could be more unscriptural than that idea. Yes, it's true that we are chosen of God. In John 6, Jesus said of himself, he said, or so himself, he said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's pretty simply, isn't it? You can't come to Christ unless you're drawn by the Father, by Abba. Abba has to initiate the activity. Oh, yes, you might say, but in Matthew 11, Jesus made his appeal directly to the will of an individual, saying, Come unto me, all you who are laboring and heavy laden, I will give you rest, Matthew eleven twenty eight, And that means it's up to us. You can never become a Christian until you choose to come. So both these facts are true. God must draw us, yet we must choose, I would say, choose to be chosen. We must choose to be drawn. I've talked about how one example came to me about how the Seahawks a couple of years ago, chose a defensive lineman that they thought a lot of, and he came out here to play football. But before he ever played a down of football, during the they had a break in their training camp, he went home, got on a four wheeler, fell off of it in an accident, and could never play a down of football after that. He had actually brain damage, damage to his head. He even tried to go play for some other teams. He was chosen by them, but because of actions he took, unfortunately. He could never play. And sometimes we disqualify ourselves because of our free will. God chooses us. Many are called, it says. Few are chosen. You must choose to be chosen. 
We're chosen before the foundation of the world. Wow, what does that do for your identity as a son or daughter of God? We are not afterthoughts in God's working. We are not accidental members of his body. There are no second-class citizens in the church of Jesus Christ. We are all equally chosen of Abba, selected to be members of his family, added to the new creation, the new order that God is producing in this world. What a privilege. What a blessing. It is not because of anything in us, but because of everything in him, right? The purpose of all this is that we are, and he uses these words, we are to be what? Holy and blameless. God says that he chose us for a reason, and the reason that we might be holy and blameless. I'd like to ask you a question. How many of you are holy tonight? How many of you are blameless? How many of you know that? I submit to you that these are revolutionary, radical things and thoughts. We hesitate sometimes when we think of being holy and blameless, right? The reason we hesitate is we have distorted ideas of what that means. We think that holiness is sanctimoniousness. That is resulting from some kind of theological deworming process we go through and being good enough, I guess. But it is not that at all. As we can see from the scriptures, when you really get into it, holiness means wholeness, and wholeness needs to be restored to the original intended functioning. Let me read that again. Holiness from the scripture really means a wholeness, and it means to be restored originally to our intended function. means to be whole and restored originally to our intended function. You know, my granddaughter came upon a car that she was given at 16 here. It's an older car, and they basically have been restoring it. And she can now drive it like it was originally meant to be driven because they've restored it to its original purpose. To be put to proper use, that's all. That's all that means. So she can drive it again. That's the proper use of that car. Physical wholeness prevails when the body works the way it was supposed to do. Or like with her, her car works the way it once did, and it does runs real nice. And when your whole being functioned the way it was intended to, you are holy. How many of you have had your whole being restored to proper functioning? You may not always function properly, but God has given us the capacity to do so. There are even more holy people here on the Kingdom Corner podcast than I would have ever thought, because I know God is restoring you to be used and work properly. It's when we begin to understand this We can apply and accept that. Let's look at the word blameless. Most of us don't think of ourselves as blameless because we know we've done many things to be blamed, many sins we've committed where we could be blamed for doing something wrong. We haven't made the right choices. We've deliberately sinned, maybe like David did, even knowing the consequences. But all of us are in the same boat, are we not? Therefore, we feel like we can be blamed because we sinned. But blameless doesn't mean sinless, okay? Never having done anything wrong is sinless. But I want you to know tonight you can be sinful or commit a sin or fall and stumble. I don't want to say sinful like you practice the sin, but you can fall and stumble in a sin and still be blameless. Do you know how? Because we have the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his blood was shed for our sins, and it says we have an advocate 
You know, if any man sin, he has an advocate with Jesus Christ. You know, that he's going to go before us if we confess our sins. You know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Accept the fact that God chose you in Christ to make you holy and blameless. And as you walk before him in these prescribed ways, that is what you are. And then you can rejoice in that. Let's look at one more thing. He destined us in love, verses 5 and 6 of Ephesians 1, he destined us in love to be his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to be the praise of his glorious grace. Uh, Let's read that again. He destined us in love to be his sons through Jesus Christ and his daughters, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, Ephesians 1, 5, and 6. This means, let's talk about this. I've got notes I've written out here. This is a partial explanation of how God takes care of all the past failures and shames of our lives. And uh, we were talking about sin and falling in sin and how he takes care of that in order to produce someone that's holy and blameless. How does he do it? By means of a change of our family relationship. He destined us to be sons or literally when you're talking about the adoption of sons he or daughters, he foreordained us to sonship standing. We are favored son. Or as the authorized version put it, to be adopted as sons and daughters, right? As favored sons and daughters. We are familiar with the process of adoption. Adoption means leaving one family and joining another, leaving behind all that was involved in the first family and assuming the name, the characteristics, the resources, the history of another family. This is the way Paul is describing this new relationship. We all belong initially to Adam, the family of Adam. We come from Adam, the first Adam. We leave that behind and become part of the second Adam in Christ, right? And thereafter, we belong to a new family, the family of Jesus Christ. We're no longer part of the family of Adam. That doesn't mean that we are not human. It doesn't mean that we no longer to be Uh, means that sometimes we fall into faults or sin of the Adamic nature because we still are tempted, and yet we've been transferred into a new family. More than that, the emphasis is upon living as a full-grown, mature, responsible son or daughter. We are put into this family as babes, or I should say, you're not put into this family as a babe, but put in this family, we are put in as mature, grown-up children. Well, we're growing toward Christ. I would say that we are growing in Christ. Uh, Ephesians 4, we'll talk more about that later, that we're growing into a place of maturity. We grasp the truth that we are sons and we are daughters, fully favored in him, right? Let's just say we're young adolescent sons and daughters, okay? This is how Jesus described his own life in John 6. He said, I live by the means of the Father, John 6, 57. That is, the Father is my resource, my wisdom, my strength, my power. The Father is a secret of how I act and what I do, where I go. The Father's living me and working in me. And in everything I do, it is not I, it is the Father. He went on to say, and as I live by means of the Father, so he who eats me, that is, eats Jesus' flesh, it's a beautiful figure of partaking Christ, trusting in Christ, will live by means of me, John 6, 57. That is a secret of the Christian life. What a beautiful way to live. By the same method that Jesus lived, 
You know, he was living by means of the Father. In the same way, that is the way that we are called to live. We have been made sons and daughters, favored sons and daughters like him, so as to share his life. Amen? And that, my friends, is Ephesians chapter 1, and I'd say verses 3 to about 6 we've covered. And I want to call this uh, episode, I didn't even think of it till now, being qualified for a purpose or being adopted for a purpose. So we've went a little long here, and uh, we're just going to continue on in this chapter, this beautiful chapter. So thank you again for supporting and coming and hearing the Kingdom Corner podcast. Be blessed. Thank you for joining us for another great discussion on The Kingdom Corner, hosted by Matt Guide. Remember to click the subscribe button so you can be notified of each new episode as it's released. To enjoy an even deeper dive into God's Word, check out Matt's new devotional book, Searching for Significance, a devotional journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. Learn more and even hear from Matt himself on the devotional website, significanceacademy.com. As always, thank you for being a part of the Kingdom Corner.